You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and today we're joined by Andrew Sirius. Andrew, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Andrew, for those uh, of our listeners that don't know you or haven't heard of you, can you tell us a little bit about your backstory, kind of what you what you were doing before real estate, how you got interested in real estate, and, and then kind of how you got into it and what you're doing today? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the greatest investors of all time. And uh, for $3,000 a month, I can teach you how to do it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> we've, we've, had a f- we've had a few guests just like that on the show. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 yeah, I've been, I started back, my, my father actually started our company back in Eugene, Oregon. And he started in 1989 after kind of a failed start in Portland, Oregon. And I, after I graduated from the University of Oregon, I joined up with him. We were flipping houses throughout Eugene, Salem, Oregon, uh, Portland, up and down the I-5 corridor. When was, when was that? This was 2005 to 2010, basically. With It started off being a holding operation. Something happened circa 2007, 2008 that, I don't know if you might remember, a small hiccup. <laughs> and so we kind of switched to flipping more so. Flipped a lot of houses. We said had an internship that brought some students from Uvo and, and Oregon State. Uh, we were all looking at, you know, find, trying to find properties to buy, fix them up, etc. We we ended up, you know, we we went with that for a while and bought quite a few. I think it was like 150 houses. Flipped them. Uh, didn't make a ton of money though. Unfortunately, our overhead was too high, but we made some. And I then, got, yeah, go ahead. Real quick. Um... You said it was supposed to be a buy and hold operation, but then because of the crash, you switched to a, a, a fix and flip. That yeah. seems counterintuitive to me. I would I would think that like uh, like a, a buy and hold, like long term debt, cash flowing rental mm-hmm. would fare better in you know, downward yeah. market trends than a flipping. Or it was the logic well, there. Well, yeah, I mean. My dad held on to his properties around the University of Oregon. He had a lot of student rentals, so he never sold any of that. Some, he, but basically, the, the problem was um, this was not the bottom ha- market has bottomed out. We'll get to that part. That's the fun part. This is the market is crashing. And so it's like there's nothing left. You know, it, it's sort of like we got to get rid of a handful, some of these properties that we bought that we were thinking of holding before because the market is sinking so fast. We want to make sure we get out of them before with, before we lose all the equity that we had from buying right or before you know we lose too much. And they're not going to cash flow very well either. And then once it started to level off, there were um, it was sort of a, a lot of it came into just just the matter of the properties we were buying weren't great rentals. They didn't cash flow very well. Um, they, we, we found an opportunity in buying short sales, which there were a ton of, this is for, for niches that don't make any sense right now, but made a ton of sense then. Maybe it'll make sense in the future. Buying short sales was one of them. So we, we, we set up a whole operation to negotiate with banks on, you know, we, people, we sent out mailers and the like, and people who had fallen behind on their mortgage payment you know, it's like calls. We will negotiate with the bank on your behalf. Um, you have to sign all these things and provide us these documents. But with, you know, we'll give you an offer. We'll negotiate the bank, and e- either we will, we will get it at a price we can purchase, or at the very least, you'll have agreed to short sale. Maybe we can't purchase it, but then you can list it at that price, and you don't have to be, you know, this property has to be short sale, which no one will buy because you have to wait months and months and months sure. because it's banks are, 
you know, they're not quite as bad as the government when it comes to bureaucracies, but they're pretty bad. <laughs> and so, but if you have, if the bank's already agreed to a price, you can list it for that price and be like, okay, we can sell for 125,000 or whatever it is. We know they'll take that. But the goal of course was for us, you know, that kind of was an extra incentive for people selling. Um, but one of the reasons to skip ahead and then I'll come back. So we're going to go a little like, you know, like a Christopher Nolan film here. Um, one of the reasons we, we went out to the Midwest was because the types of properties we were purchasing did not cash flow very well. And then the Midwest and Kansas city where I'm at now, they do cash flow very well. At least they did. And so that was one of the, basically we didn't have the ability to hold to finance and hold all of these properties. They didn't cash flow very well because they were, you know, at, if you remember 2007, 2008, it was like everything that was getting foreclosed on was, it was all over the place. This wasn't like, these weren't like rental properties. These were often really nice. They were often new mm. construction or, you know, recently built. They were four bed, three bath. I mean, there, there were a variety of different properties, but because there was no, they weren't generally what would rent well, they just didn't cash flow. And so I guess, I guess we split to answer your original question, we split into kind of two phases. The first phase of selling instead of holding was because uh, the, the market was, was collapsing. And it was like, if we can get out of these before we lose any more equity, we should. And so that was the first phase. And the second phase was we kind of looking at the opportunities that were available. This flipping operation made a lot of sense. We could, we could make a lot of money on these slips. And we did, unfortunately, our overhead was too high. So we didn't make as much as we should have. We did make some, but um and then, uh, yeah, and then we wanted to get back into buy and hold and to get into a market like that. That's what led us to uh, move away from the West Coast. Okay. So what is what what do you, what does your situation look like today? What has it evolved yeah. into? Well, in 2011, I moved out. Uh, we went with a friend, actually it was late 2010, went with a friend who is buying out of state, which is not something I generally recommend, although it can't work. He, he was in, looking at different markets and he found in Kansas City really liked it. So we took a trip out and we, you know, my, my, my grandparents, many uncles and aunts and cousins and stuff that live out in the Midwest were originally from the Midwest. And so we look at the rent comparison between Eugene, Oregon and Kansas City, Missouri. And, you know, the prices are half and the rent is 80% of it or 75%. So there's much better rent to cost and it's much cheaper. And so it's like this, and it's also Kansas City was a stable market. It was growing population. There's crime problems, but it's not like one of the worst in the in in the country. And there's you know if you if you watch out for certain areas, you can do okay. And so it made sense. I ended up moving out here, and then my brother uh, Philip followed me out. Who's who? We have a YouTube channel together. Um, the Serious Brothers, if you're interested, uh, he moved out here in September of 2011. So about nine months after me, he took over the property management. He's the younger brother. So I gave him property management and I kind of oversaw acquisition <laughs> and financing and, and rehab. And we were originally started planning on kind of really focusing on the cash flow angle and going after apartments, but for large part for just what the inventory was that was available and our financing abilities, going, focusing on houses and duplexes really kind of became our niche. And so that, that's kind of been our niche ever since buying a large number of sort of, uh, of smaller properties and in, in rental areas, areas with a large number of rentals, areas that are cash flows. And you, you know, on that, on that topic, and I, I go after large apartments too, but um, 
you know, I hear so many people that go, Oh, I used to, I used to do single family houses. Now I only do apartments. Like they graduated, like they got past, you know, and they would never go mingle with those commoners in the single family world again. But like, you know, you don't find, you don't find like huge apartment deals that work every month. So like, even if you're syndicating four large apartment complexes a year, which is probably aggressive for most people, like what are yeah, you doing? I mean, what are you doing with your life the other like eight months out of that I, uh, year? I have, I, you know, I have nothing. There's nothing wrong with buying apartments or commercial properties. I mean, it's just a different type of investing. It's very lucrative. I know some people have done extremely well. We have some actually one of the people we met in Kansas City when we came to um, also from Eugene, Oregon, almost randomly were in Kansas. Like they almost randomly moved out to St. Joseph and then were coming down to Kansas City. The Woosters, uh, Paul Joel and Jesse Wooster, they have something like 4,000 syndicated apartment units and some really nice ones downtown Kansas City. So I mean, you can be very, Ben Labovich, Brandon Turner, a lot of people sure. have had a lot of success with this. But to me, it's like, uh, you know, when we started rolling on the houses, because one of the advantages we had is the private lenders in Eugene that we were able to find while we were flipping houses, they all wanted to lend, you know, fifth, probably 100 to 200,000, 300,000 at a time. Now you can pull that together and create a syndication. But it, first of all, most, that's a, new market and a new investment vehicle. And that's a lot to sell. All of them said no when we went out to Kansas City at first. And then all of them eventually said yes. And so it's like a bit of a transition. But when we're buying a house, you know, we're doing the Burr strategy, the buy, rent, sure. re buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So we're buying as if we're flipping. We're getting, trying to get that 25% equity by getting a good deal, motivated seller, value add, you know, buying right. And then, you know, we refinance out of it. We're all into it for, you know, we're, the goal, we're not, we don't quite hit this. I think we're about 81%, but our goal is to be all into it for nothing. You know, in the end, we have a quote unquote free house with these houses. Like if you take a house as being, you know, and we kind of systematize this and grew and we got faster and faster. Then we started buying portfolios and being able to buy more and more. But if you take a look at, you know, if you think about it, let's say you're doing a syndication and I, I you know, it would seem to me like the average is like 15 to 25% is what the syndicator keeps. Sure. So let's say it's 20, 20%. So you get one out of every five units. Plus each unit is worth, you know, half or a third probably of what an, of, a, of, a, of a house would be. So this is, I mean, I think half is probably aggressive, but we'll give that. That means you get basically one out of every 10 units. So if you buy a hundred unit apartment complex, that's like buying 10 houses. So if we're buying, I mean, it makes it sound a lot, yeah. I mean, a lot smaller like yes it's a bigger property but you're that they're smaller units you're splitting equity with a bunch of people a lot more legal stuff to go through and oh i so, got i got three yeah. houses i made more money on than i did a 50 unit apartment complex like <laughs> yeah yeah it, it 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 also it pools your risk like if we buy 10 houses like, i'll go through some of the disadvantages of house i'm not trying to just be a uh SFR show. I am not an SFR for, show. First, before we get <laughs> before before we get yeah. there, can you tell me what your target house looks like? Like what value, what rent? Can you just run through the numbers? I'm just yeah, sure. curious what what other okay. people's. The first thing is I don't want them all to be the same because I want some to be on the lower end, so 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 to speak, that are higher cash flow, and some to be like this is barely going to cash flow, but it's a nicer property, yes. has a better chance of appreciation. So I kind of okay. we kind of split into three groups. One is we call them the the cash flow place, and we're not looking in 
like on the intersection of Warzone and Skid Row. That is not where we want because you can make money in those areas, but those areas tend to look good on paper, but only on paper. They are like, <laughs> yes. you know, they, they, like you got this cat, you know, you get those emails from wholesalers, like cap rate of like 28 cap rate and cash flow is like $500 you know, every, every week, you know, or something, something insane. Um, but usually that's just like you plug in numbers and then you assume that it's the same as it would be anywhere else. But like, you know, the roof on a property that's worth 30,000 is the same as cost as a roof, you know, square foot for square sure. foot as a, profits worth a hundred, you know, 300,000. And so you, you tend to rehab out your equity, first of all, because the rehab costs too much, even if you're using cheaper materials and those break down faster and you have to replace them more tenants in those areas can be good, but there are plenty of good ones in those areas, but they're also more likely to be rough on the property or, or have theft in those areas. And so those ones kind of that, that really, really rough area. High, you got it. High you got turnover. It yeah. High turnover, more delinquency. You end up putting more into the property over time you're getting out of it so, even if so, it looks- some lessons you learn the hard way or I, or I did I feel like some lessons everyone learns the hard way I don't know any investor who started out like a I'm like yeah I've, I've tended to go into like a lower end market as it's always like I got to get you know to a higher end market where it's less problems but there but I don't want to say like that you can't make money there just be very careful you need to be a specialist um but yeah, so we have the ones that are kind of a, a few steps above that, you know, like kind of C minus areas. Those would be those ones. I mean, you got to update this because rents have not kept up with prices. But those ones, I definitely want to hit at least a one percent rent to cost. You know, the total the, the monthly rent is one percent of the cost of the property. That's not a good. I don't like the rent to cost rule very well because it's really area dependent. You know, that's the two percent rules. Tra- that's what pushed people into those really yeah, bad neighborhoods. Yeah. But yeah, that, those would be like generally small houses. I like in those rough areas, smaller is better. I think uh, two, not not a one one, but like a two one three one three one and a half, you know, something like that. Maybe a garage or uh, you know, but not a huge property. That's like you know, a, a, one of those like Victorian homes in a really rough area. It's like three thousand square feet, or even a moderately <laughs> rough area. Yeah, the turnover on that is going to be a rehab. <laughs> it's like just yeah. even if it's even if it's in good shape. And so um, generally, I don't like huge houses in general. I, I, I you know, big is you know, relatively big is fine, but huge, not a big fan. The then on the other side of it, we have the the equity plays, so called, and those ones are you know we're probably capping out on those ones of a value of three hundred thousand, and that's the absolute high. Really, it's more like. 200 to two, like a little bit over 200 value. And I want to be all into them for like mid hundreds to high hundreds. Um, that's Kansas city. If you're in San Francisco or New York, yeah, freaking don't worry about these numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, the idea that like, so in Kansas, the idea there is like this property is barely going to cash flow. It is, uh, it's, it's not going to hit, you know, the hundred dollars a month or maybe just that if it goes well, but I feel like this is a, it's a, it's a good property. It's in good shape. It's in a good area. There's a good chance it will, um, it will appreciate. And I think like in those areas, it's like, and then the, the equity plays are obviously in the middle or the we'll call them the value. Play. We call them the value plays. They're in the middle between equity and cash flow. And so, I mean, if you look at it, it's kind of a renter versus like, you know, uh, a value play might be in an area where there's 25% buyer or 25% renters and 75% owners. And then, you know, a value is 50, 50 and a cash flow is probably 25, 75. And if you're looking at really bad areas, it's, it's, you know, 80, 90, hundred um, sure. percent are investor owned uh, or the, or they're owned in kind of like 
pseudo like you know like somebody doing a uh, a rent to own or a seller financing or kind of one of those things you know an investor kind of doing an exit like that so you know those are all pro it's it's all subjective you know abc areas even cap rates tend to be the secret of cap rates is they're much more subjective than people say so there's a lot of it's you know real estate is an art and a science but you know you get a pretty good idea what you're looking at so i want to split of those i don't want any enormous houses you know probably i don't think we have a single five bedroom house four bedrooms where we top out uh and like i generally don't want to be much over two thousand square feet and you know my preference is you know probably one a thousand to fifteen hundred. Um, in those nicer areas, I do two bathrooms is definitely a plus. I'm not saying that like I want all small, small, tiny little houses, but um, in rougher areas, I tend to like smaller houses. Just a bad turnover, not going to kill you. In nicer areas where you don't have as many of those, uh, you know, two bathroom that you're long, you're you're, gonna, you're much more likely to get a long tenancy than a than a short one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I can it's a broad overview, but I don't think you want to have all of the same and are all in the same area. But that does create the biggest problem with single family investing or one of the biggest ones. And that is you're spread out <laughs> and that makes it harder to manage these, these properties. Yeah. And y'all still do all the management in-house. You, mm-hmm. you have your brother doing that. Um, no, my brother graduated, got out of that. <laughs> we, uh, we, we hired a property manager, but he's in house. Yes. Um, I, I do like, you know, when it comes to, I mean, most people, I don't think it makes sense to build an in-house property management company if, unless you're going for a large number of units. Um, I do think it, it, one of the biggest challenges in, in real estate investment is finding good property managers. Um, you tend to have, uh, there's, there's, there are good ones, but it's, it's a tough, it's tough to make it work, you know, getting 10% of the rental income when you got to have all this overhead. Uh, so I, 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 tend to like the idea of managing yourself and building your own management company, but there's plus there's pros and cons to both sides of it. And I kind of give you a, like a definitive answer, but yeah, we built our own. I remember uh, I wanted to build my own management company. And um, I think a year and a half in, I never wanted to talk to another tenant for my entire life. I, it can I, burn you out. <laughs> I, I, um, I remember the day that I turned my properties over to property management. I felt like I bought a shiny new car. I was so <laughs> excited. Yeah, it's funny. I remember my uh, my dad used to manage for a few other people. And um, eventually he said uh, he was going to stop. No more management for anyone other than his own properties or stuff. He's, man- he's a partner. And he said it was his Christmas gift to himself. <laughs> <laughs> and even that, and even my dad wasn't on the front lines. And, you know, I've been off of the front line, you know, I, the first year in change, I was basically dealing with, with property management issues and it, it is exhausting. I definitely understand why people, uh, try to, well, for me, it was, it, just, yeah. it was distracting and that's true too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my growth, like took off when I stopped doing that. And, and it's like, in order to grow, I was trying to put together apartment deals. I was trying to buy, find yeah. other houses, but I was spending like 90% of my time, like doing these like $10 an hour tasks that like realistically, yeah. like I wasn't even good at. So, I mean, I was good at leasing and like, I feel like we, nobody is ever going to lease my properties like I am because mm-hmm. I will go meet a tenant at, you know, 7 p.m. on a Friday or 7 a.m. on a Sunday, you know, and I'm going to get it signed. <laughs> but like, 
outside of leasing, like every, I was bad at everything. Like I didn't know any, how to fix anything and I was cheap. So like before yeah. I would call somebody to go fix it, I would like drive out there to go look at it every single time I got a phone yeah. call. And it was like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Why am I driving across town right now? Yeah. You know? I, I think that is one of the biggest, I think if you're going to do your own maintenance, you need, like, I guess I think you need to, when you're getting into real estate, you kind of have to have an idea of what you want to do and like what you're trying to accomplish. If you're just being, trying to be a passive investor, uh, you know, it's like, or, or you just think real estate's good, like find a good syndicator, like, and, and go with them or something like that, or, or, you know, do private lending. If you want to be, I mean, or buy a property and a house or two and, and put it with a property management company. If you like the idea, I mean, I think the house hacking one makes a lot of sense. And if you're really handy and you like being hands-on and whatnot, you just go, you know, live in a house, fix it up, you know, buy another house, get that owner occupant uh, financing, which is, you know, so much, you know, it's like, I just bought my own personal residence and the 95% financing, like 3% interest. Like just, if we could get that for investment deals, I mean, we'd be, it, we just own all of Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah instead with investment deals more like four and a quarter and 20 grams and but 75 percent. but anyways um but yeah it, it if you're not particularly handy you need to have a maintenance tech you need at least or somebody in that or there are companies out there that you can pay to just do the maintenance uh you know i you have to make like you, you can do the property management. You, you contract with them and you have them go to they, they do maintenance for a bunch of smaller owners and things like that. But you know, the more I've, I've kind of, I've had struggles with property management companies in the past, but I do think if you are going, unless you were going, it's kind of like, if you're small, it probably makes sense to manage yourself. That's what you want to do. If you want to be on a handful of units and basically be your job to be the manager and maintenance guy for those units, friend of mine in Poughkeepsie, New York, a lot of success. He's got like 10 houses around the university of the Marist university in Poughkeepsie. And that's what his job, he does the maintenance and management and remodels for those, those, those properties. If you want to go small, it makes it can make sense to be yourself. If you want to be passive property manager. If you're in the, if you want to go big, I think you want to build your own management company. If you're in the middle, I think you, it, it makes the most sense to find a property manager and that can be a challenge because property there's a lot, unfortunately there are a lot of bad ones. <laughs> and so you got to <laughs> sift through them. Have you had pretty good luck with your current manager? So or- I am, I'm in the, the process of, of switching property managers. My first one fired me. Um, I, I don't believe it was, it was too much my fault. So it was a buddy of mine. It was a buddy of mine who owned a bunch of, um, a bunch of properties in North Baton Rouge, which is a rougher area. So, and, and they had gone full time and they'd quit their day jobs. I still have a day job. You know what I mean? And they, they seem to have the infrastructure to do it, but, and they've been managing them for, I guess about a year now. And, and a couple months ago, they were just, you know, they were kind of complaining that they had their own units. Like a lot of the units I picked up were older and just more maintenance labor intensive. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, they were complaining that they had units of their own sitting vacant because they were spending all their time uh, fixing mine. And I said, would you, do you want me to move some over to another property manager? Go, we want them to move all over to another property manager. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you know, so I'm trying a new property manager. Um, it was, it was referred to me by a guy who sold me a mm-hmm. bunch of properties. So I'm thinking it'll work out, but I hadn't, I haven't, yeah. 
hadn't hadn't really tested. But the the, you know, think, the last guys that did it, they were good friends of mine. I trusted yeah. them. That was the major thing. Absolutely. I, I did it myself for so long because I watched all like all the people I was buying properties from. They were landlords. You know, they they had property managers screwing them over, and. Like you I get would, a bias, maybe a biased view of property managers that way. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I don't want to hire somebody. Like everybody I'm buying properties from is selling their properties because they had such crap property managers. Yeah. So I, I was, I wasn't going to turn it over. I was going to do it myself. And there was a whole trust issue. And then it just kind of clicked that these guys that I'd been friends with my whole life were doing it. I said, well, I could trust them. And so they did it. And, you know, like I feel like it, it went well, you know, on, on, on my end, no complaints. Yeah. Um, but they were just, you know, they really wanted to focus more on their, their own growth and they were just completely hamstrung dealing with all of my headaches. It was so. like they did exactly to you what my dad did to his previous, <laughs> <laughs> which I think, it, it, I, I, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think, um, well, they managed, property, yeah. the thing is they man, you know, they managed for a few of their other friends and they managed, you know, 10 houses for this guy and five houses for this guy. And I dumped 50 on their lap. And, you know, yeah, that's going to, that's going to make it a little bit more challenging. Yeah. It's like, uh, (laughs) they, um, yeah, I, I, I think it is one of those things with, with any sort of the thing about property management, it's gotta be there, but it's, it's just, it is doing it yourself. You know, I I think doing it yourself for a short while makes sense. You get an idea of what property managers deal with. You get an idea of the problem. You kind of get an idea of what you should look for. At the same time, you've got to make sure you at least do the basics right because there's a lot of legal stuff there. You need to make sure you talk to an attorney. You get your uh, your lease and your applications checked off with them. You're you know in compliance with fair housing and stuff like that. But um, it is good to at least know what you're dealing with when it comes to uh, property management companies because you need to be able to sniff out when they're not doing well. And I think it's just one of those right. things. Um, if if you have that sense, you know, if your spidey sense is tingling you need to chase it down and not accept their answers necessarily. And if they can't get stuff turned around in a short while, you really cannot be afraid to switch. And I think what you're saying there also is the, uh, you got a a reference and I, the best way to find um, pretty much anyone, I think uh, is other than contractors, because no one will give those out because they are all (laughs) just working 24 seven. But like, if you're looking for a bank, find a real estate investor who's, and ask them that no one, no one is shy about telling you which banks they work with because they, right. yeah, they, they got enough money to lend to both of you. And if you're I, giving them more business, I'm my lender's biggest promoter. No. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. convinced. Me too. And they love me more and they like giving right. me loans because yes. I'm giving them other business. And so, yeah. yeah, no one is shy about that. And don't be shy about it. If you're the one person, if the one person who's shy about giving out their, their bank, not their private lenders, bank lenders yeah. uh, is listening to this. Yeah. Don't be shy about it. But um, yeah, if you can start asking other investors what what property managers they use and what their experience has been, um, that is, I think, easily the best way to find one because it's like if they've done right by someone who's doing the same thing you've done, and somebody that you trust, especially at least you know, then that is uh, the odds of them doing right by you are much much better. Uh, it, but if you you know, it's also one of those things like. If they're not doing if it, if it's not working, don't be afraid to switch. It's because uh, yeah, uh, I think some people are like they get, they get this inertia. It's like uh, you know, this is who I'm with. I I just got to keep pushing and hoping and listening to their excuses and maybe sooner or later. <laughs> kind of, no, 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 no. It's like if 
you know, be specific about what you want. And if their answers aren't making sense, you know, be, be the, uh, be the squeaky wheel, get the grease or right. move on. For sure. What advice do you have for anybody out there looking to get started? I think personally the best, like if you listen to like the guru types, they, they always seem to be, as far as I can tell, it's almost universal dissing the idea of having a job. Like, it's like you have a job, you're a sucker. And that's exactly wrong. Having a job is, is one of the biggest benefits you can have getting started in real estate because, um, banks, banks love my W2. (laughs) W2 income is essential to getting bank financing. And, you know, they, they are very, it, it takes a while of building up, you know, 1099 will work for them. But I mean, that, if you have a 1099 thing, that's fine. I'm like, if you're a contractor, I'm not saying quit your contracting thing and get a job. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. 1099 work too. But having a source of income that's not your real estate upfront is really, really beneficial because the hardest part, like it's getting, it's building that momentum piece by piece. And so when they say like, quit your job and start sending out mailers and all this stuff like that, just go get private lending, go get private lending, go find private lenders. That's, that's <laughs> it is <laughs> private lenders are not easy to find. And also they, they need, unless there's an angel, you know, like a mother, a father, a sister, brother, whatever, that's great. But you're so, I, yeah, go ahead. You're so right. And I hit that point all the time. People are like, why don't you quit your job? I'm like, well, cause the banks would quit lending me money or, <laughs> or, or there's like, dude, there's bad yeah. months. Like there could yeah. like on paper, there could be great months and technically I could quit my job, but there's bad months where like yeah. five bad things happen simultaneously. And I love my salary this month. Yeah, yeah. But an- another bitch, thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And another thing that I hear a lot from the, the forums in the real estate world is they, they like to bag on college a lot. And I'm like, dude, it didn't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm more ambivalent about college. I think there's college can definitely be a benefit if you are going into something either that you really love or something that has great income potential. If you're getting a degree in, you know, underwater basket weaving just to have a degree, I don't <laughs> right. think that's helpful. I, I think it, it I think probably there are too many people getting college degrees. But um, that does not mean it, it's 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 so dependent. And if you're getting like a one of like the university of phoenix or something like that you know it's like that's not right. gonna help but it's uh, i can't be as universal about a college degree it's it's dependent on which college which degree why do you want it etc right. with jobs i think it's it's very essential to have one to begin with unless you're loaded <laughs> in, which, in which case like how do you get started you just buy real estate but i think um to go off real quickly on the private lender thing a lot of people say like private and i agree private lenders are the best way to burn and to buy real estate quickly. Mm-hmm. The thing is private lenders, unless you're, you know, if it's an angel investor, like your, your parents or your or brother or sister, somebody, you know, really well, that's great. You should talk to them. But with regards to private lenders, it's very, the, the hardest thing to do is get from zero to one, to get that first person to trust you. And the easiest way to get them, like you, like you, you want to be not, you know, the way I always recommend it was make a list of people. Like, you know, can you think of 10 people you could approach that have money or may have money? Like do that, make 20 and then start approaching them, you know, have your brag book, so to speak with your resume and your business plan, a very well thought out business plan, go out to lunch. Don't be, you know, ask them out to lunch. Just tell them like, I want to pitch this to you, but uh, no pressure or other, you know, just have lunch and whatnot. But the big thing is, the key thing that's going to convince people, you know, resumes are nice. Uh, if you have a college degree, a good job, that's great. You have a good business plan. If you know what you're talking about, all that's great. Having some experience is such an important factor. 
and without a, and so if you're just like quitting your job or not getting a job, let's say you're just graduated from college or whatever, and you want to start investing in real estate, like I'm not going to get a job, I'm not going to be a sucker because guru XYZ told me not to, um, then I'm going to go find a private lender. It's like, well, why would, why, why lend to them when they, why would they lend to you when they could lend to me? I mean, no offense, right, or, you know, right. or you, you know, it's like, and, uh, and so you've got to convince them of that that's an uphill battle until you've got experience. When you show that I've done this successfully, that's great. So I think by far the best way to get started is some version of house hacking. And there's several that I think you can discuss. The first one is FHA loans. Now those are a little tough these days because this market is so hot that, so some sellers just don't want to deal with it because there's some issues if they get other loans, but they're still great. And you can buy up to a four bucks, you get like 96.5%, really good interest rate. You got to pay uh, principal mortgage insurance because you're over 80% loan, but even still very good interest rate. And you can buy up to a four bucks. You have to live in one unit for at least a year, but you live in one, rent out the other three. And then after a year, you do it again. Or you have to refinance it. You can only have one FHA loan at a time. But conventional financing through any bank these days tends to be pretty close. You know, I, the personal loan I just mentioned, 95% financing. So I only mm -hmm. had to put 5% down and uh, it was 3% interest. Like, I, and I've heard of sub three, I've heard of like 2.25. I think one person was talking about one point, just farcical interest rates that will not last. That there's no way they could be this low this long for too much longer. Um, but yeah, like you get in that first one, live there, for, you know, try to buy a house Think of it going in as buying a property that's at least one step step below what you could afford. So don't try to max yourself out. Like, oh, this I want to live in this this great home. That this is my dream house immediately. I'm you know I'm 25, 30, whatever. I want to live in the home. No, take a step back. Live in a little bit low you know lower end area. Not a, I'm not saying live in a really rough area, but or a little smaller house or a little bit older or whatever. A house that that you can hold when you're ready to move out. And so you buy, you live in, and then once you are done in moving on to your next house, some banks will consider the rental income for that, some won't. And so it'd be a little bit tougher to get as big a loan as you as you could otherwise if you sold it. But again, if you're getting, and you know, hopefully they'll stay around at this rate, but they'll probably at least still be a low down payment, five to 10% at most. You wanna set yourself up so when you move on to the next home, you can hold that house that you're living in and not and not um and not have to sell it to you know raise the down payment or, or have good enough income and debt to in, uh, mm -hmm. income uh, debt to income ratio that you could that the bank will still lend to you and so maybe the next house is also a step below what you could do but you know it's like it is it that bad to live in a three one and a half and you know three bed one and a half bath with a you know, with a one car garage versus a four, two with a two car garage. I mean, can you just handle like, you know, something like that? Right. Um, because as, as, and so, you know, this starts to accelerate because with real estate, it is a get rich slow scheme, which is why one of the biggest problems with all these guru types is like, you know, it's like get rich quick <laughs> with real estate. No, 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 it's get rich slow, but it works. And it, and, and so it's like, you are building up your principal, you're building up your equity over time, especially if you bought right, because you're getting equity up front. Um, but you're also paying down your principal and the market is appreciating, or at least if over the long term it will. I mean, you know, yes, the 2008 crash happened, but prices are way past what they were in 2006 right now. And so eventually over the long term, the price will go up. You have more equity. You can start to refinance that and put that into more properties. But the thing about house hacking is whether or not you're buying like, you know, like Craig Kurloff and, you know, buying a, 
uh, a fixer living in it, fixing it up, or just buying your own home to live it and then moving out as soon as you fix it up or buying your own home to live it and moving on to the next one. You are, you know, you're getting your foot in the door. You're getting experience. You have properties on your, bra- your brag book with your resume and all of us like, Hey, I've done these two properties. I'm looking to start accelerating that and buying more, you know, and then you can start, you can use that, having that experience, one, having that experience, just becoming a better investor yourself, making better decisions, understanding rehab costs better. That's invaluable uh, or extremely valuable, but also having that experience to pitch to private lenders. Like if you're, nobody wants to be the, no one wants to be the first person to do something, you know, yeah. no one wanted to, you know, uh, how many Bitcoin was required to buy that pizza? <laughs> the first one it was like, you know, enough now to buy Manhattan or something. <laughs> you know, no one wants to be the first person to jump into something, but if you have shown yourself to have had success, even with the house hacking model, especially you know, I lived in this house, you know, it's, and, and think of it, especially if you can, like, I'm going to try to move relatively quick. I know moving sucks. We just did it. It's awful. It's the worst thing ever, but you probably like for this model, there's going to be a lot of move deal with it. <laughs> you know, it's like getting into one house, you know, moving to, you know, let's say one year to 18 months, move on to the next one and then do the same thing. A duplex, you know, all is even better uh, or a fourplex is even better than that. And so that I think is by, because their financing is so much better and you're not even, and, and when you look at it, you know, in, in many markets, you're not even paying much more than you would in rent. And so it's like, save up, it's, you can't really, you know, you can keep that loan on while you're renting it out, as long as you live there to begin with. So I think that is by far the best way to get, it's not for everyone, but it's by far the best way, in my opinion, to get, to get your foot in the door and start yeah. to, and, and start to build. From there. I tell every 20 year old, I'll meet that. <laughs> um, so real quick, I want to hop over to okay. our, okay. Real quick, I want to hop over to our radio round where we just ask a couple questions, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First yeah, sure. question, what's your favorite book? For real estate, my favorite book is The Millionaire Real Estate Investor um, yeah. by Gary Keller. I think that's yeah. a great introduction to the concept of buy, of buy and hold real estate or yeah. any, any kinds of real estate, really. But it, it's definitely one I'd highly recommend. Yeah. So whenever, you know, I'm trying to push mm-hmm. our lifestyle onto my, my friends that are stuck at work, I... Um, I'll tell them to, you know, I'll start them with rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. And I, I immediately tell them to follow up with the millionaire real estate investor. And then Brandon Turner's yeah. book on um, the book on rental property investing. Yeah. So those, yeah. Yeah, those are the that's, good book, yeah. that's my like three little package. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, by, by, by the end of these three books, like you'll get it and you'll kind of have yeah. a, you know. I have a book too. I eventually will be publishing. So that one would, would replace the millionaire real estate. I think it's going to be called the buy and hold blueprint. It will be out. I have no idea when. So cool. yeah, I'll be well, read that when it. it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the next one is what's your favorite quote? You know, I really like the quote. It's a old, I think it's an old Chinese proverb that every day is a new life to the wise man or we'll, we'll add that in be a little bit more politically correct. Um, I think uh, in real estate, one thing in anything really, but real estate investment in particular, there is going to be a lot of regrets. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to buy the wrong property and miss out on the right one. And so you have to look at it like every day I'm, you know, the past is the past. It's done. You, it's, it's, you knew there were going to be, you got to know there were going to be mistakes and problems and things you should have done differently going in. It's just part of the game. Get better focus on, you know, this is your, the, the past is the past. Focus on the present, learn from it, but focus on the now. Yeah. Absolutely. 
as you were saying that, like every mistake I ever made flash before my eyes, I could, dude, I could rattle them off. <laughs> well, every one in a matter of what, 20 seconds. I mean, that's not, yeah. that's not too long a list. I would think so that's good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Oh, I mean, I, I, I like, uh, I like, I play the guitar. I don't play in a band, but I like guitar um, and hiking and, and, working out i want to get back to playing basketball and stuff like that and i want to start traveling more but there's been something you know there's there's been a bit of a hiccup in the last 18 months i don't know you might have heard of it (laughs) yeah this this is some respiratory virus i think so it's made it a little bit more difficult but yeah (laughs) yeah we all used to love to travel (laughs) (laughs) used to Uh, um how can our listeners find out more about you um Get tickets to come see you at the, speak at the Bigger Pockets conference. Yeah. Um, follow your YouTube channel. Give us all your all your links and shout outs. All my all my links and yeah. So I mean, I will be speaking at the Bigger Pockets conference. I think it's October third and fourth, or fourth and fifth actually in New Orleans. And then uh, you can my YouTube channel with my brother, the Serious Brothers S Y R I O S. We release about a week of, about a video a week. And then uh, I, I blog on Bigger Pockets, and I also have a uh, personal blog, just andrewserious.com. Awesome. And y'all can find all of the links um, in the show notes. So I just switched editors, and I found my new editor. He goes and scrubs my guests. I don't know how he comes up with it, but at the, at the bottom of the show notes – every single link that's ever associated with you is at the bottom of my show notes. So they'll have, they'll have all of it there. Um, all lies. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, all yeah. Well, cool. Andrew, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on. I've, I've always loved, uh, loved your show and loved the, the, you. the content you put out in bigger pockets. So, so thank you so much for sharing some of that wisdom with our guests. And uh, we look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Shelley. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.